Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, my guest is Dr. Katherine Hagen Bargo. She is a physical therapist out in Pennsylvania who has the opportunity to work with a lot of different dancers from our tiny dancers all the way up to professionals and adult dancers, people at various stages in their career, various stages of their training, and so has a lot of really fantastic insight to be able to talk about various experiences that dancers have. During this episode, we, as always, talk about a lot of different topics, but we discuss things about the importance of including strength training, cardio training, and things outside of what we are typically doing in the dance studio to help support our dancers' overall, not only health and wellness, but even support their artistry and all the other things that we want to come with it. We talk about helping dancers being able to advocate for themselves getting more knowledge of how their bodies function and what they're capable of, making sure that they have a team surrounding them that includes a physical therapist and some different ways that that might look depending on where you are in training, what your needs are as a dancer. And also Catherine's famous quote of with great mobility comes great responsibility. We talk about all that and more. So be sure to check out this episode. Welcome to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, I have a fellow PT here with me, Dr. Catherine Hagen Vargo, um, out of Pittsburgh Ballet and multiple other different groups in the area. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to sit down and chat and talk about dancers and dancer wellness. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. So my first question that I always ask everybody is give a a brief background of what got you to this point of wanting to work with dancers and supporting them. Yeah, I think it's a really unique story. I don't think anyone else has told you that I was a dancer and I got injured and uh, I didn't find medical providers that knew my language and knew that my knees are going to hyperextend and that's just the way it's going to be. And so when I was young, I um, you know, stuck my foot into any door that I could that I thought might open. And I was just that girl when I figured out that dancers have PTs and PTs know things about dance. It was very much, how am I going to do that? So I was a broken record in PT school of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a physical therapist that takes care of professional dance. And um, I just kept kind of sticking my foot in doors and volunteering and really trying to figure out how I was going to get there. And I kept volunteering to do the things of, hey, we need someone to do this. Okay, I'll do it. Hey, we need someone to help do this. Okay, I'll do it. Any opportunity that came up to learn, to grow, to increase my skills, not only in dance, but in physical therapy. You know, I'm one of the few physical therapists that works with performing artists that I have my orthopedic clinical specialty and my sports clinical specialty. Mm-hmm. And so I just made sure that I did everything I could to be as well prepared for any opportunity that came up. And I always tell people, if you want to get into dance medicine, have a really, really solid foundation as a physical therapist, and then we can work with the dance later. So I always say that if you know the orthopedics, I can teach you the dance. But it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to go backwards and teach someone the foundational skills of orthopedics and sports medicine. Yes. And I think one of the important points with that, too, is, you know, so much of what we typically learn in a physical therapy curriculum, if we're not doing a dance fellowship or a performing arts fellowship or something like that, is for the folks who fit a lot of those typical norms that we find in textbooks as far as how we move, how their muscles are functioning, what positions we're working in, and that kind of thing. And so you really need a strong foundation of what our joints capable of, what our muscles capable of to safely be able to help our dancers then get to what they need to be able to do. So you really need a good understanding of of all of those mechanics and safety pieces and all of that too. 
For sure. And then in addition to that, to be, in my opinion, a really good sports PT, you need to have that extra emergency management. You need to have that extra, you know, on field stuff that I didn't learn in PT school. And so that was something that I went outside and I took emergency management courses and I took classes in how to spine board and do all these things. And I really hope that I never need any of that. But it's one of those things that I didn't learn fracture management in PT school. But if I'm the only one backstage at a theater and something happens, I always felt I need to I need to know and I need to feel comfortable with being the one that leads that dancer back to safely. Yes, 100%. I want to talk a little bit more about some of your background or experience because I think it sets up a really good framework for our conversation moving forward. So tell me a little bit about some of the different groups of dancers that you work with to set that context. Yeah, so I work at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. We are a, a sports medicine provider in Western Pennsylvania, and I work at the the Rooney Sports Medicine Clinic. It's the one that's kind of right in town. We have a sister clinic that's a bit north of the city. Uh, that's the Lemieux Sports Medicine Center. Also fabulous PTs, fabulous docs up there that take care of more of our kind of northern um, athletes and dancers. But where I'm located, I'm 36 hours in the clinic at Sports Medicine. And then I'm also on site at the rehearsal studios for Pittsburgh Ballet Theater. So I go there and I do coverage on site for them. I also do backstage coverage for them on site, but I also help take care of the dancers of the Point Park Conservatory of Performing Arts, which yeah. is nationally ranked as one of the top tier performing arts dance programs in the country. And yeah. so every year with them, we do preseason screenings or early season screenings, and we screen all hundred of their freshman dance or transfer students and give them programs to try and help get themselves set up for success, not only during their academic careers, but they're at the beginning of their professional careers. So let's make sure that those folks are as well set up as possible. Um, I also work with a lot of community dancers of all different levels, whether that's my young dancers kind of just getting serious about it, or it's my community open division dancers that are full grown adults and just falling in love with dance. And so let's help them to have happy, happy, healthy careers of whatever it is that speaks to them. So I really get to see the full gamut of young, very early dancers just falling in love with dance to the professionals and to the community dancers that stepped away from dance a long time ago, but they are just coming, you know, as we say, come back to the bar. It's always there for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. And, and thinking of that, wide range of dancers, not only in age and skill level and just, you know, maybe what their goals are with dancing and that kind of thing, I think is really important to keep in mind too, because a lot of times when we're thinking of working with dancers and what we're seeing in the dance medicine community and that kind of stuff, we have a lot of focus on the professionals. We have a lot of focus maybe on competitive dancers, vocational training, any of those kinds of folks. But sometimes we don't put as much focus on recreational dancers, adolescent dancers, and our older dancers who are, you know, maybe doing it more for the enjoyment factor and the fitness factor, but not trying to be professionals with it and that sort of thing. We can't forget about all of those other folks. And I won't lie. I love working with my tiny dancers. They are so fun. They're the ones where I feel like if I can make a positive influence with those young dancers, oh man, I'm not only changing maybe the game for them, but I'm changing the game for the next generation and maybe help uh, helping to install some healthy habits, some healthy mindsets, some healthy versions of rest, and really trying to kind of set that generation up for not only success for themselves, but for when they become dance teachers they can kind of take all these things that we've learned and apply them. The other side yes. of that coin is the, the dancers that are on the other end of that spectrum, the ones that maybe had really strict teachers when they were growing up, or they didn't have that, that kindness towards themselves of, about perfection and all of those things. And 
it's really beautiful to help those dancers fall back in love with dance and to fall back in love with what it does physically and emotionally and mentally. Um, and so being able to help support them to say, okay, I don't need that leg up by your ear, but let's get it off the ground and let's get it off the ground mm -hmm. safely and let's use the right muscles and let's make sure that your alignment feels good. Um, and so it's really very gratifying to work with the whole spectrum. And then when you're working with the professionals, they're the professionals at their craft. And so it's not my job to change their technique or any of those things, but it's how can I support you to have happy, long, healthy careers? And I want dancers to be able to retire on their terms and choose when that time comes. And so that's that's the whole reason I'm a PT, is I want dancers to have happy, long, healthy careers and retire on their terms. I love that. I, love that. I think also thinking about supporting dancers in what they do, you hit on some important points of, we need to acknowledge some of those other pieces for them where it's, you know, the, the mental side, the nutrition, how are they fueling themselves, all of these different elements. One of the things that I know I found as a dancer for myself, and I see a lot in the dancers that I work with is dance is sort of a different kind of sport where it, it involves that artistic side, self-expression opportunities. Like, you know, there are days where if I'm having a tough day, if I can get in the studio and take a tap class, it's an amazing opportunity to get some of the aggression and get some of the stress out and that sort of thing. So like, it's also important to my mental health being able to dance. And a lot of other sports maybe don't have those same components or maybe in the same sort of intensity as dance seems to. And remembering all of those other elements of what dance brings a dancer making sure that we can help them stay healthy in all of those ways too. For sure. And I think that's one of the benefits that I have of working at UPMC is that I've got access and I've got referrals and I've got the ability to say, hey, I think this could be a benefit. You know, what have you ever talked with somebody like this? And I've just made it a blanket piece of my intake with all of my dancers, no matter what level it is, it's okay. I talk about nutrition with all of my dancers. And so it's not a pick and choose when to bring it up. It's, you know, do you feel that your nutrition is adequate for what you need to do? And I talk about relative rest and recovering. And I talk about those, you know, what do you, what do you have in your dance bag for after dance for your recovery snack, for your mm -hmm. recovery meal? You know, what does mom or dad have in the car when they pick you up? You know, when you get home at night, what's your go-to refuel? And so, you know, that piece of the puzzle. And we have amazing sports nutritionists that we can refer out to and to say, hey, talk with my friend, Mike. He's really great. He understands dancers and he can help you figure out what that after, after dance snack is. Mm -hmm. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about one of the things that I know we both are very passionate about, the idea of helping dancers get stronger and how that affects not only just how their body is functioning or feeling, but even helping elevate their artistry and elevate their technique and all of that sort of thing. Um, I'll let you just kind of go, go with that idea. Sure. Yeah. No, I always, my big kind of hill that I feel like I'm pushing this boulder up is that dance class is not enough. You know, dance class was codified in Paris in the 1860s. And that's when the leg didn't go above 45 and the jump was very, very small and the skirts didn't flutter. And there's no way that that dance class that was created and standardized then prepares dancers for what's happening on stages today. You know, the leg is so high, the leap is crazy, the lifts are huge, and it's no longer just one gender lifting. The women are being called on to support themselves, they're being called on to support each other, they're being called on to do a lot more groundwork, and dancers these days need to be stronger. And so, I always think about other sports, the team lift 
is expected. The training, the cross training, the cardio strengthening, it's expected. And so I think we have to walk this line very carefully. And that's where I think my background from sports medicine comes in is that we can learn things from sport and acknowledge that dance is not sport, but oh man, is it athletic. And so I think we need dancers to kind of self-identify as athletic artists or artist athletes or whatever speaks to them. But we have to identify that dance is no longer, dance class is no longer preparing dancers for what's happening on modern stages. And so we need to, to figure out that culture shift of how do we help dancers get really strong and how do we help them? And kind of my platform is always, I can help you with some strength. I can help you with some coordination. I can help you with some balance so that that way you can create the character. You can create the artistry. I can't do that, but I can help get things a little stronger, a little sturdier so that you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm gassed at the end of this section. You can mm-hmm. think, ooh, I want to I want to hold that breath for just a moment differently, or I want to think about that connection. You know, I want dancers to be able to focus on the artistry and have their bodies support them because they're well conditioned, they're strong, they're ready. Yes. Yeah, I think one of the things that a lot of times dancers may not be aware of as they're practicing their art and as they're doing whatever style of dance it is, having that additional strength and control and all the things that we can kind of help them tease out and and build upon can help give them more time in the air where they can get that really cool moment or that breath at the end of a pirouette, for example, where it's just like, ah, I got it. Okay, now I'm done with my turn. Or some of those moments that like really let them shine, mm-hmm. they can hit those way more easily if they're doing some of that other training, whether it's strength training, even cardio training. You know, there's there's research that really points that out of how little time we truly spend in some of our cardiac training states to be able to be as efficient as possible and again, not gassed at the end of a, a show or the end of a number. Yeah, it's one of the things that you know, uh, one of my kind of affiliations is that I'm currently the co-chair of the Dance USA Task Force on Dancer Health. And as the Task Force on Dancer Health, we are looking at professional dance. And we have instituted a screening that we do with professional dancers across the country. At, at, I think this past year we had 19 different companies work with our screening. And one of the things we look at is cardiovascular fitness. And we look at strength and we look at flexibility and we look at some technique and things. And we have a good baseline of where these dancers are and can we help and can we uh, encourage some other things. And it's a big thing to be able to take from sport and apply to dance. And that's the big thing is that we're not trying to turn dancers into weightlifters. Mm-hmm. And one big myth I always take the opportunity when I can to dispel is that lifting weights isn't going to make you bulky. It takes a lot of very specific work to get that hypertrophy, to get that bulk. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get that bulk with the type of strength training that would be appropriate for dance. And so, you know, that's, that's one of my big myth busting missions is uh, lifting weights isn't going to make you bulky. It's not going to harm your flexibility either. It's going to really help you achieve those higher legs because you're going to have the strength to get it there as opposed to kind of just whacking to get the leg there or jump and hope that your leg gets where it needs to go. And so, you know, strength training is is going to help in all the different ways so that you can focus on the artistry. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about, because you do see such a broad range of dancers, different stages in their training, different stages in their career, 
what are some things that you're able to maybe see where it's like, okay, if we can start some of these habits earlier or things of maybe later, it's like, ooh, if only we had gotten in there sooner with some of this education or information. Are there any trends that you maybe see through that uh, sort of lifetime of dancers? Yeah, I think the nutrition has definitely become a piece that dancers have done a better job with. You know, I always kind of say, if you need a good restaurant recommendation, ask the dancers because they know what tastes great. They know what feels good in their bodies. So, you know, always ask your dancer friends if if you need a restaurant recommendation. And so Mm -hmm. I think nutrition is definitely, you know, coming along there. But I think from a strength and conditioning perspective, the younger dancers are starting to expect it a little more because Mm -hmm. a lot of studios are incorporating some version of strength and conditioning. It's not always necessarily what I would program, but it's at least beginning the conversation. Yeah. So I think I'll take that. And then I think it's the, the, the dancers, when they get to that collegiate level, they're figuring out who they are as adult dancers. And they're figuring out what they need, what they want, what they want to achieve and how they want their careers to go. And so those are the dancers that are are really coming into their own and they're so hungry for information. And so those are the dancers that I can talk about studies with and they're like, yes, tell me all the science because they're so interested in it. Yeah. And it's the dancers at the end of their career that I'm saying, okay, let's talk about how we're gonna be happy humans. Let's talk about how we're going to get up and down off the floor with your kids or your grandkids. And let's talk about how you're going to have dance parties in the kitchen. And, you know, it, it may not be 32 fuetes, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't have an amazing time at your kid's wedding. So kind of finding those moments that speak to each dancer and, and finding that and going from there. I also love the opportunity to work with my younger dancers and their parents Mm, yes. They are such powerful allies to be able to go into the studios and say, hey, I just met this great PT and she said that she'll come in and talk to the studio. You guys interested? Amazing. And then I can come in and I already have some street cred. Yes. And I can always kind of have that, that buy-in and it's a great way to get that foot in the door with a studio that you may not know as well or with dancers that haven't ever talked with a dance specialist medical provider. Mm-hmm. And that conversation's different. You know, I always tell dancers, you can use your words, you can use your language. And that's such a powerful thing to be able to speak a common language and to say, really? this, this move hurts. Okay, I know what that move is. And let's talk about what part of it. And you can just mm-hmm. see the light in their eyes come on of, oh, you speak my language. Yes. Yeah. I I find that some of my most fun sort of transition points with dancers now are the dancers who started with me a little bit younger and now they're heading off to college. They are now adults and now in charge of making more decisions for themselves and that sort of thing. And sometimes there are things that we've been talking about along the way, but maybe we haven't really moved on yet. And now they're at the point where they're like, okay, I know this thing that we've been talking about. Tell me more. I want to do something with this information now. Or hearing stories of how they took things that they've learned working with me over the years and being able to advocate for themselves when they're at a summer intensive or now they are starting to train with a company someplace and they come back when they're in town. I love those moments when they're able to kind of, you know, say what what difference it made getting to have some of that access to education and all of that sort of thing too. Yeah. It's one of the things that I really love is to be able to get in front of a room of dancers and say, here, here are the things that you can empower yourself with. And here's some ways that you can try and do some prevention of injury because dance is hard and it's a lot of hard physical work, a mental work, emotional work, It's a lot of hard work. And so trying to give dancers every resource they can for success, it's really empowering to see a dancer take those bits of information, to take those 
bits of self-knowledge and apply it or say, you know what? I, I remember this. Hold on. Let me, let me circle back to that. And I'll get emails from dancers of, Hey, I'm dancing at this ballet and, and we're working on a similar piece of choreography. And so I, I did that strength training you did and it, it felt so much better. It's like, Oh, wonderful. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of dancers and the team that they surround themselves with that can, that can or should include a physical therapist. Um, how have you seen that team work with dancers that you're working with, especially in, you know, sort of the, the system that you're working within? Sure. And I will absolutely acknowledge that working for the biggest sports medicine provider in Western Pennsylvania comes with some absolute privileges. So I won't, I won't at all try and pretend that that's not the case. Um, but I'm very, very lucky. You know, I work in a building where I've got great docs down the hall. And if I have a dancer come into me, direct access. So uh, Pennsylvania does allow direct access. So a, a patient can come to a physical therapist for 30 days without a prescription. And as long as we think it's safe to treat, we can treat for 30 days before we have to get the docs involved. Mm -hmm. But if I have a dancer that comes in and I'm concerned for an elbow fracture because she was out playing with her friends in the yard and tripped over a fence and now can't straighten her elbow, Gosh. I've got great docs that I can say, hey, um, let me contact this doctor and let me get you set up. And so I can make those referrals. Mm -hmm. I think it's also really important for every dancer, like you touched on, to have a PT in their pocket. You know, I you don't have to have a standing appointment with me, but you need to know that if you need something, I'm around and we'll always make it happen. And let's take a look at what's going on. Having a sports nutritionist, super important. You don't need them all the time, but if you notice that this nutcracker is really hard, I'm really fatigued, something's not quite right. Having a sports nutritionist that you know that you can call up and say, hey, I'm not feeling as well nourished. I'm not feeling as energized. Can we can we look at my nutrition plan? And just for those drop-in moments, super important. One thing we haven't touched on and we have a little bit is the mental health. And so yeah. do you have a person? And if not, can I make some recommendations? And, you know, dance is hard. It's a really emotional thing. And they're putting on these characters and they're giving these characters emotion. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from that when the curtain closes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's hard to walk away from the heaviness of a piece. And so how do you, how do you come back to yourself? How do you come back to the light? How do you come back to that? And so trying to just make sure that dancers have the resources mm -hmm. is really, really important. And one of the things I always say, you know, if you are a new PT in the world of dance medicine, start asking around, you know, who, who takes care of dancers? Find out who the foot ankle person is. Because we know that most injuries in, in classical ballet, but also in a lot of other forms of dance are foot ankle. Mm -hmm. So find out who the foot ankle person is, because I bet they're seeing some dancers. Find out who the PM&R folks are, the physical medicine and rehab. Find out who the folks working with hypermobility. Hypermobility is such a huge piece of the dance world. And so find all these docs that are doing the things that are meaningful and then kind of start saying, how can I help? Mm-hmm. I think building that network is so critical because the last thing you want to do is have a patient who's coming into work with you who really is needing something and you are sitting there going, I don't know who I have to send you to, you know, Google this. I don't know. Maybe you'll find somebody, but being able to say, Hey, I have this person who's great at this particular area, it just provides so much reassurance, again, because I think dancers so often are not as well understood as we hope, um, just kind of out in the general medical community. And so if we can help facilitate building some of those relationships with our colleagues, 
Um, if we can help dispel some of the worries or stress that might come with, but am I going to have somebody who actually gets it and understands me? It's huge if we can help with that. And then it goes one step further. And then you go back to that dance studio and you say, hey, if a dancer comes to you and says, today's not the day for me to jump, that dancer needs to have that autonomy. And that's something that I really work on with my young dancers is themselves being able to stand up and speak up and to say, that doesn't feel good in my body today, especially the dancers that are going through puberty and adolescence where that center of gravity is changing all the time. Yeah. Today's not the day. I'm not going to get a triple today. I'm going to do a double very safe. I'm going to do a single very safe. And dancers having the ability to speak up for themselves. And then the parents backing them up, super important, so that they can go back to the studios and say, hey, my son or daughter is in PT right now. We're working on some things. The PT has advised uh, pulling in that turnout, just one talk, you know, just one tick on the clock face. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to come back to it. And so dancers having that ability to speak up for themselves and to be accepted when they do is super important. Yes. Yes. One thing that you mentioned that I want to go back to is, you know, thinking of some of these specialists in different areas, if we need to be able to refer or consult or whatever, one of them is hypermobility. Anyone with things like Ehlers-Danlos or a whole slew of different hypermobility things that we see out there. Um, and I know this was even something I heard you say in a presentation at IADAMS last year, but with great mobility comes great responsibility. Talk to me about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's going to be the quote that goes on my tombstone. Um, and I think it should be, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think, you know, dancers are, it's, it's Darwin. They are a little hypermobile, and that's praised in the dance world. Mm -hmm. And that's great, but you've got to be able to have the strength to control it. And so it's one of those things that I work with dancers and, and all patients with hypermobility. Boundaries are healthy. Everybody loves healthy boundaries. And so let's work on kind of what that normal range of motion might be, but then also knowing that dancers go into extraordinary range of motion. And so as a result they not only have to be able to control the normal amount of motion, they have to be able to control the extraordinary. And so working in those past normal ranges is really important for their safety and learning how to control that. But also when you're cooking your dinner at night, let's not stand in our hyperextensions. When you are waiting for your coffee or you're sunbathing and your arms are behind you, let's not hyperextend. You know, let's Let's think about when do we need to use that versus when do we need to protect that? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things as I'm getting older in life, I'm realizing that everything in life is about resource management. And if I don't have the resources to control all that extra motion, I don't need to be tapping into that right now. If mm -hmm. I'm fatigued and I know that I can't control it, nope, I'm not going to go for that extra high jump today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a safe, clean jump. I know one thing that I even experienced myself, and I am far from being hypermobile at all, but because of an injury that I had early in high school, I have some hypermobility in my right knee. And I used to hang out in that hypermobility and I used to be like, this is my good leg. My other leg has a problem. You know, I'm blaming the wrong side for the wrong problem and all of these different things. And then I started learning, mm, maybe this isn't a safe place for me to hang out. How do I control this? How do I manage? Because I know structurally I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to go into that hypermobility zone of that knee. And now I'm at the point where I can physically make myself go there, but it's not very comfortable anymore because I trained that out of my system. And so, you know, just 
realizing that in retrospection has been an interesting one as I continue to work with dancers so much um, and being able to kind of use that as a, you know, yes, we can train your body to have some different awareness, some different control, some of these different things to make sure that we're protecting those joints as much as possible when we can or when we need to. Yeah. And that's one of those things is, you know, I always think about there was this one particular piece where the women were standing and then the men had to like scoop them up by the back of their necks. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of the, the company coming in with the same injury and I was like, what is happening? And then I saw the choreography. I was like, okay, let's maybe not run that same section over and over and over and over again. Let's make sure that you have it. Let's make sure it's safe because we can't change the choreography. That's not, that's not going to happen. But we can say, let's maybe limit the exposure to it. Let's maybe make sure that it's as safe as possible. Let's make sure that our cross training, our strength training is choreography specific. And that's one thing that I would really love to see PTs be able to kind of get involved with a bit more is that choreography specific training. Mm -hmm. And that's something that can happen at a company level, but it can also happen with a young dancer show me your solo. Let me see what you're doing. Let me see what, how you're controlling that. And if there are moments where you look at it and say, okay, we need a little more control during that, that part where you're holding onto with your hands, let's work on that a little bit. And so just like any other sport, you would analyze the motion. You'd analyze the throwing pitch. You'd analyze the soccer contact. You do the same thing with dance. It's just, it looks a little different. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a really great opportunity to thinking from the level of dance teachers, studio owners, anybody like that, where maybe if they are noticing that where in a particular piece, a particular group of dancers, a particular class, they're suddenly seeing like everybody seems to have hip labral stuff coming up. Maybe that's an opportunity to pull in somebody like a PT mm -hmm. to see what the choreography is, see, is there something in common where all of a sudden it seems like everyone is having a very similar problem? Absolutely. And I would love if every dance studio across the country had a relationship with a PT. You know, I always tell, especially young PT students that want to get into dance medicine. Yes, there are limited jobs at the big brand name companies across the U.S., Mm -hmm. but there are a million dancers yeah. and they all need somebody good that cares and that understands them. And so if you are gunning for the job at brand name ballet company in your city, there may only be one or two of those jobs. But if you want to work with dancers, you can do that till you retire. Mm-hmm. And those, all of those dancers need really good PTs. Yes. And it goes beyond, you know, I think so much of our focus often is ballet and a lot of our kind of more common competition style dances in a lot of our typical studios, jazz, tap, ballet, lyrical, contemporary, you know, some of those kinds of things, but also not forgetting some of the millions of other genres of dance that exist. We have our Irish dancers. We have any sort of partnering dance, ballroom, cultural dances. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of them are going to have needs as well. And so there are so many opportunities of who we could be working with and supporting. Yeah. And the world of dance, there's so many dancers and there's so many styles. And if you can just start working with folks. And it's just like anything else. You know, if I hadn't, the first time I worked with a uh, fencer, I looked at this fencer and I said, all four of your limbs are doing something different at the same time. Right. Okay, let's, let's break this down. Each ankle needs to be doing something completely different. Each arm is doing something completely different. Okay, this might take me a minute, but I'm going to figure it out. And so then I delved into as many videos as I could get. And I looked into the literature of, of what injuries do fencers get and mm -hmm. you have to just educate yourself. And so when a dancer comes in with a style that you're not familiar with, just like anything else, you're going to dig into what do I know? 
start from what you know. Look, mm -hmm. do they have the basic range of motion requirements to do it? Do they have good core strength? Do they have proximal stability? You know, do, do their arms and shoulders work the way they're supposed to, or are they, are they kind of all over the place? So start from what you know, and then from there work into, okay, now what do you need to be able to do and have that very open and honest conversation? And mm -hmm. a dancer that finds a dance medicine provider that's willing to learn and grow and do some research, they're hooked. Oh yeah, for sure. One of my favorite things also to do with a lot of my dancers is if I have the opportunity to either watch video of them dancing or what I like to say is see them in the wild, go to a show that they have, go to a competition that they're competing in, anything where I can go and watch them do whatever it is they're doing. Um, and even singing in different conditions, you know, is it in rehearsal versus the actual show or competition? They're going to be dancing differently in each because nerves and, and you know, all of these different things get mixed into it. A lot of the endorphins and whatnot, if you're in like competition mode. And so being able to see them in the environment, doing whatever it is they do and not just mimicking it in the in the clinic or that kind of thing is such a valuable opportunity when I'm able to get it. So I love that piece too. Oh, for sure. And then for the dancer to know my dance medicine provider is here, that's huge. And it's mm -hmm. so it must be so empowering to them to say this dance medicine provider really cares. And that's what dancers want. They want to have someone that cares enough to respect the art form, respect them as performers, as artists, as athletes, all of these things. And so to be able to speak the language and then to show up and say, I want to learn about your thing. I want to, to see you do your thing. Um, it's very, very empowering. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's one of my favorite things when I'm at the studio and I don't have a dancer on my table, I'm going to go watch rehearsal because mm -hmm. I want what's happening. Yeah, exactly. And that's a lot of times what I do too if I'm going in for a dance class or if I'm out social dancing myself because I do some partner dancing. Um, I like to just kind of sit and, and watch people and see what they're doing. And particularly in the studio when they're, whether it's just a typical class or running a rehearsal, it's a great way to get a sense of what's the culture of the studio? How are the teachers approaching things that are coming up? And that way you get that other piece too of like, what else is in this mix of what I need to consider with the dancer in front of me? Absolutely. Thinking of maybe sort of the audience of dance teachers, dance educators, what do you think is something that you hope every dance teacher, every dance educator maybe knew or were able to incorporate into how they work with their dancers? If there was like one thing, what do you think that would be? Hmm. Is the answer sport science specific enough? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's something simple. Like let's work on cardio with 30 seconds, a minute of jumping jacks, of just jumping that's not dance jumping. Can we incorporate, I always say the easy button. You know, we don't, it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be a huge program where you have tons of weight, but let's incorporate some sport science into the ballet class. And maybe 20 minutes a week, we work on something that's not dance to make us stronger for dance. And so if we can work on a little bit of cardio, if we can work on a little bit of upper body supported weight training, if we can work on a little bit of, dare I say it, grab a weight yeah. and do some standing core work. You know, there's, there's a lot of great resources out there that if we just make some small, easy inroads, we're going to be okay. I hear a lot of dance teachers say, you know, I can't give up time in my technique class for, for this. Well, I'm not asking for a lot of time. I'm saying, let's, let's do just a little bit. And I think you'll start to notice 
that the dancers have more endurance for those across the floor sections. They have that ability to hold themselves just a little bit sturdier in those balancing sections. And so it, it doesn't have to be a wholesale fire change. It can be small changes that are going to make big differences for people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I definitely have heard that comment before of, but we don't have time to incorporate these things that you're talking about. It doesn't have to require a lot of crazy equipment. It doesn't need to be a long chunk of time. It doesn't need to be like a whole nother two hours of strength training during the week that gets incorporated at the dance studio that they have to figure out how to get in there. There are so many ways to, to make it work and have yeah. the dancers be successful. It could be something as simple as the stairs up to the second floor studio. We can use those. We can talk about there's walls generally in dance studios. So we could do some stuff off against the wall. There's lots of good open floor space, so we can do some good floor stuff. You know, those are the things that in a PT clinic, I don't know about you, there's never enough walls and floor space in oh, a yeah. PT clinic. And a dance studio is nothing but walls and floor space. And so it's this ideal mix of things I can't do in the PT clinic, because I don't have a ton of walls and floor space, and then you walk into a dance studio and it's just walls and floor space everywhere. And so, you know, can we, can we mix things up and can we pick up some weights and can, can we work on some things that are cardio? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be complex. It just has to start. Mm -hmm. And it's something that they also don't need to figure out for themselves. Like you said, there are tons of resources or, you know, do something where like maybe the studio owner or artistic director or somebody makes a decision to pull in somebody like a PT to do a teacher training to say like, here are some concepts that you can work into it or bring somebody in for a class to actually take your dancers through maybe a full class of something and see what bits you can pull and that you want to incorporate into class and that kind of thing. Like there's so many ways to get to it and not have to completely feel entirely responsible for generating all of this and sort of recreating the wheel either. I will give you a little bit of a sneak preview for our uh, professional dance companies. Dance USA is working on a, a strength and conditioning kind of recommendation. And so we are trying to put something together that it accompanies a lot of these things of, I don't have space, I don't have funding, I don't have a budget, I don't have all of these things. And so we're trying to put together something that we can start with the professional companies and say, mm -hmm. okay, you know, these dancers are generally contract dancers that have time. And so we're starting with the professionals to see, can we, can we roll this out and how does this go? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so stay tuned. We'll see how it goes. That sounds exciting. Yeah, Looking forward we're hoping to that. that'll get out sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Well, I think this is a good opportunity for a special segment on the show. So the final bow. This is basically your opportunity to share your parting message. We've talked about a lot of different things throughout this episode, hit on a lot of different types of topics. What is the one piece of information that you hope the audience listening or watching walks away with? I think it has to be with great mobility comes great responsibility. You know, dancers are incredible artists, but they're also incredible athletes. And so being able to support dancers to have happy, long, healthy careers. That's the whole reason I do this. And it's the whole reason I think most of us in the dance medicine world do this, is to try and help dancers achieve their goals. Yes. And then the last thing is the shameless plug. So if there's anything that you want to promote for yourself, for an organization that you work with, something that's coming up, this is your opportunity. Yeah, I'm not very good at shameless plugs. Um, I really tend to be more of a, the dance com the dance medicine community is very big and it's welcoming and reach out and make connections and 
email someone you don't know, go up to a conference and meet someone and say, hey, I loved the poster you did on whatever, or hey, I think I saw that you wrote a blog post about this. And we're all here to help each other and we're all here to help dancers. So introduce yourself, email me. And then if there's something I can do to help, then I'll do it. And the same thing, you know, I emailed a presenter from iAdams and Limerick a couple weeks ago. And I said, hey, I really loved your presentation. Uh, I'm missing a couple slides. Would you mind helping me out? And the researcher sent me what I was looking for and I was able to use it. So the dance the dance medicine community, it's a community and they're all looking to help each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, at least the general sense that I get from everyone that I've been able to interact with over the years in the community, it's one where it's like, you know, feel free to reach out. And if I can help connect you to somebody else or, you know, connect you to a resource or something like that, like I'm more than happy to do that, whether it's a colleague that's looking for something or a dancer who's looking for something, you know, even if it's a dancer in a whole nother state where I can't work with them as a physical therapist, but they're looking for somebody, I can, I'm happy to check my network of folks and see if I know somebody who can work with them who is in their area. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just reach out because all we want, like you said, is to help our dancers stay happy and healthy and strong and safe and all of those different things. So we might as well all work together and help each other out. And that's one thing is that dancers are migratory. They may be with Pittsburgh one season and then they might do a summer intensive somewhere else or they change studios or mom or dad gets a job change. And so this dancer is moving towns. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of change. And so the dance medicine community is a network. And I can say, okay, you're going to this place. Great. I have a great PT in that area. And if that PT is on the other side of the city, they can connect you who's on your side. That's going to be okay. And I think that's one of the beautiful things is that the dance medicine community is really here for the dancer. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's a fantastic way to end our episode. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and really enjoyed our conversation together. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And like I said, if there's anything I can do, reach out. Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.